As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word endures forever. May it speak a fresh word into our hearts this day that we may be ever more faithful followers of you. Amen. We continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke this morning with chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The writer Dan Wakefield spent much of his early adulthood in a self-described quest for salvation, which he pursued through all manner of illicit activities. Then he began to experience a spiritual awakening. He developed what he describes as a thirst for spiritual understanding and contact. To put it bluntly, he said, a thirst for God. His spiritual journey was a rough one, full of challenges. In the midst of it, a friend gave him a book by Henry Nouwen, in which Nouwen, a Catholic priest and writer, shared that he too sometimes experienced anguish and confusion on his spiritual journey. Wakefield really wanted to meet Nouwen and talk to him, and he was thrilled when Nouwen agreed to have lunch with him. When they got together, Wakefield expressed appreciation for Nowen's writings, but confessed that if someone as spiritually mature as Henry Nowen still wrestled with doubt, then what hope could there be for a mere beginner like himself? In reply, Nowen could have been condescending. There, there, you'll get better by and by. He could have given him a prayer exercise to do or another book to read. Instead, 
he put down his fork and offered Wakefield an odd kind of blessing. Contrary to popular opinion, Nowen told him, Christianity is not about getting your life together. Last week in our reading from Luke's gospel, Jesus told Simon, James, and John to put down their nets in the deep water. After a miraculous catch of fish, Jesus invited them to come with him, and against all odds, and certainly against all reason, they did. But from the moment they left everything to follow Jesus, they discovered that being a disciple did not lead to fame or fortune or getting the answers to all of their deepest questions, but rather to doubt and confusion as they tried to make sense of Jesus' words and actions. From those earliest disciples to those of us here today seeking to follow Jesus, on this journey, we quickly discover Christianity is not about getting our lives together. We struggle to wrap our minds around this because we long for religion to offer us comfort and stability and predictability. Follow these rules and God will reward you. Believe these things and you will be saved. Do this and that will happen. Do, don't do that and this will follow. We long for a linear journey of faith. But although this is what we want, it's not what we get. In today's text, Jesus comes down a mountain, which for Luke is a place of prayer and connection with God. He comes down to what Luke calls a level place, a plain. Once there, people from all over immediately surround him, wanting him to solve their problems, heal their physical infirmities, grant peace to their unsettled spirits, make them better in every way. After he heals them, Jesus looks at them and offers these words. Blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who are sad, who are bullied. To the great surprise of the people gathered around Jesus with all of their diseases and evil spirits and confusion, he doesn't judge them for their problems or blame them. Instead, he acknowledges the weight of their burdens and bears witness to the pain they carry. For many of these people, Jesus was surely the first one who looked at their poverty and grief and shame and instead of judgment, offered a blessing. These words of Jesus hit us with just as much dissonance today as they must have then because we tend to define blessing in material terms. A blessing is something we earn, a kind of reward for living life right. Our understanding of blessing usually goes something like this. Blessed are those born into a happy family. Blessed are those who invest shrewdly and have good connections. Blessed are those with access to a quality education. Blessed are those whose bodies are beautiful, whose relationships are intact, who are physically and mentally healthy. 
Do a quick search of the hashtag blessed on any social media platform. And in addition to pictures of beautiful families, perfect homes, and glamorous vacations, you'll find posts like this. 100 days until graduation, hashtag blessed. Going to marry my best friend, hashtag blessed. Committed to the college where I will play football, hashtag blessed. Annual cancer scan shows I'm still in remission, hashtag blessed. But the original Beatitudes we heard today suggest God's blessing is something altogether different. Jesus' blessing is not given to those we would classify as blessed. Blessed are the poor, Jesus says. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are hated, excluded, reviled, and defamed. Luke's gospel is the only one where these four blessings are matched up with corresponding woes, a term the Hebrew prophets use to call out people who have gone astray from God's path. The woes further clarify that the blessing Jesus is talking about has nothing to do with wealth or success. Woe to you who are rich, who are satisfied, who are popular, who seem to have mastered the game of life. Apparently, God doesn't see reality the same way we do. And when it comes to giving out blessings, God is looking for those who need them the most. And God is suggesting that we do the same. Although I went straight to seminary after college, there were seven years between when I graduated from seminary and when I became a pastor. There were a lot of reasons for this gap, but one was that my experience of working in churches during seminary showed me just how difficult the job of a pastor is. I liked the idea of a study filled with books and time to read and write and pray, I wasn't so sure about all the meetings and committees and trying to live up to people's expectations and assumptions about who a pastor is. So in my seven-year hiatus between seminary and ordination, I tried hard to find a different career. I started with writing. Reading and writing had always seemed like the best part of ministry to me, so maybe I could focus on that. But I quickly discovered that making a living as a writer was a lot less glamorous than I had imagined. It meant having to get up every day and, to state the obvious, write. It was also incredibly lonely, even for an introvert. So I got a job in a bookstore, thinking there could be no better job than one in which I could read and talk about books for a living. But working with customers? That was even harder than the solitude of the writing life. Finally, I returned to the first job I'd ever imagined myself doing. It was a hard turn. Medicine. Maybe my interest in spiritual healing could be satisfied by pursuing physical healing as a doctor. So I started down that long path. Fast forward, a few years, 
and a few months into medical school, I found myself at a vocational loss, worried I had once again chosen the wrong path. I made an appointment to see my faculty mentor, Dr. Elizabeth McKinley, and in a state of anguished confusion, I laid before her all my concerns and doubts. She listened. And when I finally stopped talking, she said with great compassion, Amy, if there is anything else you can do and be satisfied, do that. If medicine is truly your passion, then you will be able to navigate all the hardships it will require. But if there are other things that you would find as meaningful, there is nothing wrong with changing your mind. And you might want to do that sooner rather than later. As soon as she said this, I realized my first instinct had been right all along. If there was indeed no such thing as an easy career, then I wanted work where I could wrestle with and talk about what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. A little more than a year after that conversation, I was ordained. Looking back, I've often wondered whether Dr. McKinley realized the gift she gave me. It would have been so easy for her in that moment just to give me a pep talk, to tell me that, yes, a career in medicine is hard, but it's worth it. You've come so far. Don't give up now. But instead of affirming or encouraging or even shaming me into staying on that path, she offered me something much more valuable. She saw my struggle, and she didn't try to solve my problem, but rather honor my wrestling. She gave me a blessing. The spiritual teacher Martin Shaw says, we are living in a time where we get a lot of affirmations, but what we don't get is blessings. A blessing is when you have been keenly witnessed in some difficult labor, and usually somebody that is older than you takes you aside and says, I saw that thing you did. And you will know you have been blessed because you will feel full. God's blessings are not contingent on our good behavior or faithfulness. God's blessings are given to us in our brokenness, our poverty, our need. They aren't given to fix us or put our lives back together, but to acknowledge the beauty and power of our lives as they are, even when it feels like they are falling apart. True blessings make us feel full because they make us feel seen in the midst of struggle and confusion and doubt. And when we receive such a blessing, we become capable of passing it on, of acknowledging the struggle and confusion and pain of others and blessing them in the midst of it. Jesus offers these blessings and woes not high up from a mountaintop, but on a level place, a plain. With his words, he is literally leveling the playing field, reminding us that although the world tells us otherwise, life is not a zero-sum game. We're all in it together.
And whether we are struggling or whether we are satisfied, we are blessed and we can bless each other. Ann Patchett is an author and she tells of a time when she and her husband, Carl, who is a doctor, were boarding a flight from Moscow to Atlanta when they looked around and realized that their plane was going to be full of families who had come to Russia to adopt children. There were about 100 babies and toddlers on their flight. Remarkably, there was almost no crying on the plane until several hours into the flight, the woman sitting across from them came back from walking the aisle with her new baby. The baby wasn't crying. The woman was. Carl asked her what was wrong. A woman in the back of the plane told me something is wrong with my baby, she said. The woman said she was, she's not holding her head up enough. She said, I should take her to see a neurologist as soon as we get home. Give me that baby, Carl said. He told the new mother that he was a doctor. He had delivered hundreds of babies. She passed the infant to him and he studied her carefully. He looked in her eyes, sat her upright, let her grab his finger in her little hand. He did what he could to appear as medical as possible. Then he said to the woman, I've looked at all these babies, and this is the best baby on the plane. The woman touched her new baby's head. Do you think so? Carl nodded. I'll give you 20000 for this baby. What? The mother and Anne both said at the same time. I'd like to have this baby, Carl said. We can wait in Atlanta. My accountant will wire you the money. I don't want to sell her, the woman said. She had the look on her face that anyone would have if the stranger holding your baby had just offered to buy her. This is the best baby I have ever seen, Carl said. If you don't feel sure about her, you could get another one. Patrick continues, I thought the woman would call for the flight attendant, but instead, I watched her grief break apart. Grief dissipating, evaporating, vanishing. No, she said. No, I don't want to sell her. Carl handed the baby back to her with some regret, then gave the woman his card, in case you change your mind. She thanked him and thanked him, Patchett writes. He had offered to buy her child and in doing so had restored her joy. Christianity is not about getting our lives together. It is a lifelong journey of learning that whether we have it perfectly together or we are falling apart, God sees us and loves us and fills us with grace, which gives us the power to see and love and extend God's grace to others. Whoever is before us, friend or stranger, rich or poor, infant or elderly, may we see them as God sees us and offer a blessing. Amen.